Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. We're nearly into Super Wildcard Weekend as it's now been rebranded. And uh, I think the first thing I probably have to say on the show uh, is that for this year at least, maybe I was wrong about playoff expansion. There you go. I've admitted fault. Moment one, I have improved as a human being for 2021. My New Year's resolutions already coming in. Uh, I am Will Gavin, host of The Gridiron Show, alongside Gridiron Magazine editor Liam Blackburn and features editor Simon Clancy. Boys, are we feeling good about I mean we are all sitting here without January football to enjoy I'm sorry Simon for you particular that it was pretty close to happening but are we all feeling good about our 2021 seasons in the end or our 2020 seasons I mean Liam can't be no no is that a a rhetorical question that was a loaded question Willie I don't know what you're saying I I, I honestly don't know what you mean hey two wins more than zero is uh Something that you could have only hoped for a few weeks earlier. And if Urban Meyer ends up at, um, at Jacksonville, like they're suggesting, you might get Trevor Lawrence at number two anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be the dream scenario. Can you actually imagine Joe Douglas will be doing cartwheels down Broadway? It'd be astonishing. If the Jets traded out of that pick before Urban Meyer selected Justin Fields. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that would not surprise me either, let's be honest. <laughs> Adam Gates is offensive coordinator for Alabama. I thought it was very interesting. Him and Bill O'Brien are the uh, are two of the coaches that uh, Nick Saban wants to replace Steve Sarkeesian with. So get used to the screen game, Bryce Young. <laughs> <laughs> can he, can <laughs> Frank Gore sign for Alabama? Is that yeah. <laughs> it's a very mature student if it's Frank Gore going back to college. Uh, we're looking forward to, we look forward to Super Wildcard Weekend. We'll have uh, Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick with us in a short while. He oversaw one of only eight 2,000 yard seasons in the NFL with Jamal Lewis. We'll ask him about Derek Henry and what it took to achieve just that. Uh, probably just keep giving him the ball against a bad Texans team is the simple answer, but it ended up being a thrilling end to the final week of the regular season. It did end up delivering. And and I think just to start off with, with six games this weekend, were Simon Clancy, we wrong about playoff expansion, diluting the quality of the field is more games, a good thing, or have they just got a bit lucky this season? I think they've got a bit lucky in that the AFC is really strong and therefore it was competitive on the final day. I think if the AFC had been like the NFC, we probably would have been like, nobody particularly wants to see the Washington football team in the playoffs, given their horrendous record and pretty average team. The flip side of that is that for me personally, you know, I was invested in the final day, despite the, the absolute spanking that the Dolphins took. And you wouldn't have expected that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not thrilled by the games. I've got to say that there's not games where I'm like, that's an absolute must watch, can't miss, you know. But it looks like an exciting, intriguing weekend. And um, I suppose when we get to the Super Bowl, I- I'm interested to see how, what the effect has been for the Chiefs and, uh, and Green Bay in terms of that one rest week that they've had at this time of the year compared to everybody else who's just had to, to plough through, especially teams that run the ball. But yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's going to end up being a really fun weekend and that's going to help the people who backed it and probably push the NFL into a position where it never will go back down again, uh, which, I don't know, it doesn't work for me particularly, but I guess we shouldn't complain about more games when we've just hit the end of the regular season. You just want to see SpongeBob commentating on an NFL playoff then. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, if they could give all of Super Wildcard Weekend to Nickelodeon or just like push it around, maybe give uh, you know National Geographic one of the games and get David Attenborough in to do some some commentary yeah, on it. Funny. 
Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's another option. Uh, before we get into the two kind of big dis- the discussions of the week, which is looking forward to next weekend's games and the head coaching hires that are around and available. One thing we will be talking about Brian Billet with a little later, but I just want to get you guys' thoughts on Liam. Uh, first, the Eagles situation, where on Sunday Night Football, they bring in Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter when they're down just three points, looking like they have a chance to go and win the game. And... It's since, you know, we've since seen Jason Kelsey come out and claim that there wasn't the angry exchanges on the sideline. It looked like there were on the TV cameras, despite the fact that Jalen Hurts appeared to be pretty confused about the fact that he was benched. There are now claims that this was always the plan. But whilst I don't buy into the idea that this was just to screw over the Giants, this certainly feels like real life tanking. Yeah, there's a few things with it. Firstly, I mean... Doug Peterson said that this was already agreed beforehand and that they'd always planned to give Nate Sudfeld some snaps because he's a good servant to the team, yada, yada, whatever. I think, first of all, the, the main thing you want is you want your young rookie quarterback who you haven't seen much of kind of in that situation where he's got to go and win the game at the end and the, the, the stakes and the pressure and all that sort of stuff. And then secondly, what sort of message, and, and obviously there's been rumours that the players were um, disillusioned with it. What sort of message does it send to the rest of the locker room that you are tanking essentially and that you don't want to win this game? Um, and as you say, we saw the reports that the players weren't happy about it. And I just think it's a really bad look for Doug Peterson, which been a really bad year as well. You know, had they gone into that game and come away with it at the end, won a game, stopped Washington getting to the playoffs, and Jalen Hurts had come through and, and played really well and, and pulled a game out of the bag, it would have given them massive confidence going into the offseason next year. Now, as it is, there's just rumours of discontent. You know, he, what are they doing at the quarterback situation? Hurts didn't play well here. So, despite what he says, I'm sure there was a little bit of it as well that was, let's put Sudfeld in and see what we've got because it's not going well for Jalen Hurts. And it just looks a real mess there. And it's it, it's a horrible look now because they don't play again until September. And this is going to linger over the franchise for the entire offseason, I think. I think it's, I thought it was outrageous, actually. That, and the point you made there is um, it's so apposite. You, you insert Jalen Hurts three games ago. You want him to get, A, as much experience as possible. But B, you want to see him in that offense as much as possible. Just, so to say you wanted to get a good look at Nate Sudfeld is just, is just an absolute sham. You have got a second-round pick quarterback who sat on the bench for the entire season. You started him. He's played pretty well in some games, not so well in other games. You need to get him snaps. You need to get him experience in that offense. You need to get him experience in the system. And you need to get him experience in big games, divisional games, with something on the line, whether it's for your team or not, there is still something to play for down by three points in the fourth quarter. I know he hadn't played particularly well, certainly passing was seven of 20, but that's just not the point. I, I just thought it was an extraordinary decision. And it sends out, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be absolutely fuming. You know, as a Dolphins fan, it was disappointing that the Steelers rested their starters, but I can understand it. But at least they didn't do it three points down early in the fourth quarter. You know, yeah, we got spanked by the Buffalo Bills, 56-26. But I, I applaud the integrity of Sean McDermott for playing his starters and playing them hard through the first two and a bit quarters. You know, there was something on the line for that, for four other teams, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Baltimore um, and Cleveland. You know, there was something on the line for the New York Giants and, and, and Washington and, um, and Philadelphia just chose not to play with integrity and it's not tanking in the same way that a team would tank or manage decline for a first overall pick because that just affects that singular team this affected another team in the New York Giants I found that wholly unfair it's a a divisional game as well you know it's huge for those players and I tell you what when the 2021 schedule comes out circle that first Eagles Giants game because the Giants are going to be so fired up to try and get revenge on that game I did enjoy um, people kind of going after the idea that 
this wasn't about why aren't they comparing it to the Steelers? Why aren't people having a go at those situations and having a go at the, you know, teams who are resting players and talking about it as a competitive advantage? Well, here's the thing is that the Steelers are gaining a competitive advantage by resting their players because next weekend against the Browns, they will be healthier, they'll be fitter, particularly for a team who didn't really have a true bye week this season thanks to the changes due to COVID. You then kind of compare that with a team like uh, the Eagles, who I don't like what they did, but I also don't think that it, it it's ridiculous to people who are saying that they should be compared with other teams who are resting starters, completely ignoring that point that Liam made and is absolutely right, that surely the thing you need to see more of than anything else is as many Jalen Hurts snaps as humanly possible to decide whether or not you are looking for another quarterback this offseason. And the Steelers made the point that they were going to rest players before the game. If the Steelers pulled out Ben Roethlisberger down three points midway through the the fourth quarter, you could have put up the same argument, but they didn't. Look what happened to the Steelers. Mason Rudolph was essentially a two-point conversion away from sending that game to to overtime. Those backup Steelers players played very hard. It's very difficult to insert a quarterback and a load of backup players midway through the fourth quarter of a a cold evening divisional game and expect them to go and win. And you you saw Nate Sudfeld fumbled snaps. He was picked off. He got sacked. He couldn't move the ball. He could barely throw it. You know, the future is not Nate Sudfeld in Philadelphia. The future is probably Jalen Hurts. And you need to see him as much as possible. I just thought it was an outrageous decision. Let's talk GMs and head coaches and positions available in the NFL right now. Uh, Six teams ended up moving on from their head coach and or GM. Um, The Falcons, Lions, Jaguars and Texans all went into this week needing to hire both, although the Houston Texans have already seemingly brought in Nick Casera, the uh, player personnel, the top guy outside of Bill Belichick supposedly at the New England Patriots and a guy that they interviewed two years ago and have been desperately chasing down it seems uh, over the last couple of years the Jets and Chargers they don't have a GM to hire but need to bring in a head coach Tom Telesco by the way at Los Angeles is being allowed to hire that third head coach and whilst he's drafted well this team hasn't had success over the time he's been there in the truest sense of it so kind of amazing that the Spanoses have stuck with him. That, that's the one I want to start with, and then we'll feel free to pick through the other ones because we've talked a lot about the other jobs. And we talked a lot about Anthony Lynn this year. I feel like for most of us, we, we felt like this was coming because his game management, his in-game decisions were so poor. But there's been this kind of swell since he was fired from people saying, well, he's just helped a rookie quarterback to the best rookie book quarterback performance statistically of all time. Have we been too harsh on Anthony Lynn, Simon, or is this the right decision for the for the franchise moving forward? I think it's the right decision. I think if you make one or two of those mistakes, I think you'll probably get away with it. But it seemed like every week, and it became a sort of running joke on social media of a Sunday evening when it got to a critical point of the game. And it was like, how is Anthony Lynn going to manage to blow this game? And he did in some way, shape or form. Um, I think he was perfect as a coordinator. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a leader of men. I just don't think he's suited to be a head coach. So it'll be interesting to see what the Chargers do because obviously there's a the, there's huge interest there given that it looks like they've got a franchise quarterback and there's an awful lot of talent on that team. You know, so whether that's a, a landing spot for Eric Bionami or Arthur Smith or, you know, Joe Staley, uh, um, Joe Brady, sorry, Joe Staley, what? Joe Brady. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love Joe Staley. Uh, I love Staley uh, I'm not sure I'm not he's quite ready for head coaching yet. <laughs> <laughs> Outside the box. For an offensive-minded coach, 
to work with a young quarterback like Justin Herbert, I think that's a could be a great landing spot. You say, Will, that you he he led him to the best rookie season of a quarterback. I'm almost inclined to say that he kind of succeeded in spite of Anthony Lynn, to be honest. You know, oh, let's not forget it's let's not a forget that. Harsh. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't with the game management. I mean, let's not forget that Justin Herbert is only playing because of a very unfortunate pre-game injection from Tyrod Taylor. Anthony Lynn decided that Tyrod Taylor was a better option at the start of the year than Justin Herbert, who went on to compile the best rookie season. And as Simon said, you know, it's there were repeated errors. You know, you look at the two things on head coaches, game management, sorry, three things, game management, clock management and special teams. And the charges were among the worst in the league in all three facets. Nice guy, clearly as Simon said, a leader of men that people get behind. They won four straight games to end the season, but yeah, it's absolutely the right decision to get rid of him. And that's a really attractive proposition, that job, because of people like Justin Herbert, um, Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen. There's a lot of pieces there I think you can build around. Derwin James, who of course we've not seen for this year and, and most of last year as well. I think there's there's a lot of young pieces there. Obviously, the, the fact of being that you're in a division with Patrick Mahomes is a rather large negative. How many games would Justin Herbert have started had that injection brouhaha not happened? Because Anthony strikes me as a guy who'd have stuck with Tyrod Taylor far yeah. longer than he should have done. And Herbert may have ended up only playing three or four games. And, you know, there had been huge question marks moving forward. It's not like Anthony Lynn was going to suddenly inject Justin Herbert into the game <laughs> in week four if the Chargers were two and two. That just wasn't his mentality, wasn't his mindset. So, yeah, I think he lucked out with Justin Herbert. I think the other thing about it is that, there is a strike while the iron's hot moment here. I heard it, it's a very lofty comparison. I am not saying that Justin Herbert is Michael Jordan, but I heard a comparison between when the Chicago Bulls made the decision to switch their head coach and bring in Phil Jackson. They were having success, but they looked at it and they said, we've got possibly a generational player here with a really good team around him. Let's do something to make that final push. It'd be great to be going to the playoffs every year, having been a bad team for a while, but... We need the person who's going to push us over the top. And I think that could end up being, you know, something that does happen with the Chargers. But also the fact that you look over the last seven or eight years since the new rookie wage scale came in and quarterbacks taken near the top of the draft even are so cheap that they help you out. And you've got teams like Seattle, teams like Philadelphia, teams like the Rams who they managed to build a team around a very cheap young quarterback and go to the Super Bowl with it. And I think that that's what they will be seeing is we've got this window right now. While we've got the most expensive position, we're only paying them a fraction of the money that they'll be earning in two, three years' time. We've got to use that time now and that money now to to make the big push. So I think it's the right decision overall. I do feel a little bit bad for Anthony Lynn, but we have taken a dump on him all year long so maybe I'm just being resident on it in post at that thought the five other jobs and we've talked a lot about these positions but I guess now we're at a time where we're starting to get a picture of the kind of guys that people are looking for I'm intrigued to come to you Simon about some of the names that are coming out of college football as I said Urban Meyer to the Jags is is being a heavily linked one I know he's on TV now rather than in in college but are there any college head coaches that you think you could see coming in and taking over one of those jobs? And what do you make of the Urban Meyer situation? I think the Urban Meyer situation is fascinating. I think it all depends on his health. He's also been a guy who's always won wherever he's been. And despite winning, he's had serious health concerns over his heart. So what's going to happen when, you know, it's not like the Jaguars all, all of a sudden going to go to the Super Bowl. 
uh, next year. So how is that going to affect his psyche? I think he's going to have to have a very, very good assistant head coach if he's going to have to do it and a staff that really takes some pressure off him. But I think he'd be a fascinating hire. In terms of other college coaches, there's three that really stand out for me. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, who's always resisted the opportunity to move. He's been heavily linked with the Chicago Bears, but obviously with the Bears making the playoffs, it feels like they won't make a change. But Fitzgerald finally seems open. He turned down the opportunity to interview for the Green Bay job two years ago. PJ Fleck at Minnesota, who's done an outstanding job out there with Tanner Morgan at quarterback and Rashad Bateman and, and Tyler Johnson now who's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the receiving core. Bateman will be a first round pick this year. Fleck has coached in the NFL before he's 40. Um, he's a real players coach. Uh, and I think he'd be an excellent choice. And then the third one is uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, who has just done an amazing job with the Cyclones. Uh, helps that you have a good quarterback in Brock Purdy. But, you know, that's not a team that's full of five-star kids. It's not a team that's full of four-star kids, but it's a hardworking, well-coached unit. He, you know, he almost got the, the Jets job and has been very heavily linked with a number of, uh, of positions. I think he'd be a superb signing. He is a Matt Rule-esque character. Uh, and I think he win a lot of games with someone like Matt Campbell. We then turn our attention to the, the other hot location to be picking guys up from, which is the coordinators. You mentioned them earlier, Arthur Smith, Eric Bieniemy, Robert Saller, all have already had multiple interviews. And we'll get a bit of a look into what that interview process looks like with Brian Billick coming up shortly. There are, I think there are some really good fits there, but as always with these, and I think we've seen it, I mean, Adam Gase maybe is the most extreme of examples, but we've seen people who have success as coordinators and as coaches who just can't do it as head coaches. Are there any in particular, Liam, that you look at and you think to yourself, I really like that fit, I really like that person, I think they deserve that opportunity. Are there any that maybe strike you as being a little bit more on the ropey side. I, I am seriously concerned by whoever comes into the Texans, even with who, with bringing Nick Sarah in. And we saw that cryptic tweet from Deshaun Watson about some things never change. Just still feel like that's an organization who are aging in their best players outside of Watson and don't have any draft picks in order to fill those positions. Maybe we look at it with specifically the Jets, but what would you like to see there? And what do you make of these other guys being linked? It's interesting in terms of like in previous years, you know, Mike McCarthy was tired last year. Adam Gay's got another job. We've kind of had hirings where people have already been NFL head coaches and we've known their strengths and weaknesses. And then they've, they've come in elsewhere other than Jason Garrett um, interviewing for the Chargers job, which again, Tom Telesco should have been fired just for giving the guy an interview, to be honest. Let's not ignore the fact that Marvin Lewis has had interviews as well. well yeah, quite. The Marvin Lewis one's an interesting one to me, just to interpret on that, because... He became a bit of a joke because of the, like a bit of a running joke because of their playoff record. I think what, 0 and 7 in the postseason. But there was a, a analyst on TV who described him as a man who, to be fair to him, did raise the Titanic. So it <laughs> yeah. depends on what you're looking for from your head coach. He might not give you that long term success, but someone who's going to bring stability, who's going to be able to hire a good staff, you know, maybe he's the most sensible middle-of-the-road option, I just think everyone's going to be looking for that splashy hire, surely. Yeah, and I think you look at teams like the Jets and the Jaguars are obviously going to have, definitely the Jaguars, possibly the Jets, are going to have young quarterbacks, new quarterbacks into the league, and you're going to want to look at those and think you want an offensive-minded head coach there that you can mould with and grow with. Um, I guess out of the coordinators, the one that interests me the most is, is Brian Babel, having kind of seen what he's done with the Bills this year. You know, the Bills have been absolutely incredible. The development of of Josh Allen in year three has been astonishing. He's got career years out of Stephon Diggs, out of Cole Beasley. And the strength of that Bills team this year has been the offense. You know, he's been a guy that's been around. He's 
coached under Nick Saban, he's coached under Bill Belichick, but then he's also been at other jobs, Cleveland, Miami, where he's been offensive coordinator and it hasn't really worked out that well. So is this just a case of a, a perfect marriage in Buffalo where him and Josh Allen seem to just fit naturally or is it something where he can go in and be a, be a head coach and be a huge success? He's, he's kind of one that, that fascinates me. I think I really like watching the Titans in terms of, I think Arthur Smith brings the best out of that system. They're really creative in the red zone, which is always a good sign for a coach. But there's other factors as well as a head coach, you know, stuff like being a head coach in New York, for example, is much more than being a head coach in, in Jacksonville where the media isn't as big. There's a huge spotlight, a huge pressure on that kind of thing. And it's, it's as much as, as handling the media and handling the day-to-day players as, as being able to be creative and, and coming up with good schemes. So maybe that's where someone like Marvin Lewis fits in well and that he's, he's been around the block and he, he knows how to handle these things. But that's, that's something that's huge for these young coordinators that like, you have to bear in mind as well. They don't just need to be someone who can scheme up well and can put people in positions to succeed. They need to be the whole package and, and deal with everything. I don't think Eric Bynamy, for example, will get the Jets job. I think he interviewed for the position, what, 2019, and he wasn't even in the top three. Um, but I think Bynamy should get a, a job. I think Brian Dable will obviously go to the Houston Texans. There's such a connection there with Jack Easterby and, and uh, Nick Casario, and they all share the same agent as well. Uh, Matt Eberflus would be very interesting. The Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, obviously. I suppose the two teams that you look at, Detroit and Atlanta, both had defensive head coaches, and you wonder if they go to the same well again in terms of you know, those two names. Arthur Smith, obviously intriguing, interesting. I could I could see him ending up staying at Tennessee, actually, quite frankly. I mean, in terms of Joe Douglas, three of the names were the Jets, are Jim Caldwell, Wink Martindale, and David Shaw, who are all well-connected to, to Joe Douglas. Obviously, Caldwell was the Ravens' offensive coordinator for their Super Bowl team in 2012 when, when Douglas worked as a scout. Martindale, obviously, another Baltimore connection. And then David Shaw was a, a former Ravens' assistant during Douglas's days as a scout. So it'll be interesting to see a couple of sort of off the radar names. We talked about Joe Brady, um, who's had a year in the NFL. I, I, I wouldn't rule out Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. I wouldn't rule out Gerald Alexander, the uh, secondary coach of the Dolphins, who's hugely highly rated. Uh, and he's been talked about as having potential head coaching interviews. And then Mike Kafka, who is the passing game coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, is somebody slightly left field that you could see in a Zach Taylor kind of sense, get some interview love as well. But it will be intriguing to see where they all end up. I'm surprised Brandon Staley isn't getting a bit more buzz given how successful he's been with the Rams. I do feel as if it's one of those, the way the league moves towards offensive-minded coaches. If he was an offensive coordinator, for example, doing what he's doing with the defence, whether he'd be creating more buzz, a la Zach Taylor. When he, he was he also a, a linebacker's coach 12 months ago. Like, yeah. I, I yeah. think give him a bit more time in that job role, surely. Josh McDaniels is the interesting one as well, because it's clear to me now that Josh McDaniels has no desire to be anywhere else other than the New England and to be the, the success to Bill Belichick. I just can't believe that McDaniels will go anywhere now. There's part of me with McDaniels, though, that you think that if Bill Belichick gets a quarterback that he loves in this upcoming draft or even uh, free agency, someone who he really thinks he can mould and work with and start to bring in some of the newer concepts in the NFL, and you saw how good their run game was at times this year. <laughs> I mean, you might not get the job for another 10 years, Josh. Like, would anybody, would anybody be surprised if Jimmy Garoppolo was the New England Patriots quarterback on opening day of the 2021 season? Because I know I wouldn't. Had this very same conversation on TalkSport. The, um, obviously, there's the possibility of a trade because he is still under contract. But the dead money for next year, based on he, he signed a very team-friendly deal that was very front-loaded. If they cut Jimmy Garoppolo before the 1st of April, $2.5 million. 
Wow. You know, there are people who have dead money on kickers and punters, which is more than two and a half million dollars, let alone, you know, the court starting quarterback that took them to the Super Bowl 12 months earlier. So the question I was asked was if Garoppolo leaves, where does he go? And I didn't hesitate, I said New England. I, I honestly yeah. don't see it being anywhere else. I can absolutely imagine a scenario in a few years where Belichick moves upstairs and kind of hires his, his son to be the head coach. I think that would be the dream <laughs> scenario for him, wouldn't it? Oh, God. Poor Josh McDaniels at that point. Although, actually, no, not poor Josh McDaniels. You took a job and then you walked away from it and it was you left that franchise seemingly in a complete nightmare where they missed out on the rest of the coaching hires and then they actually ended up getting seemingly the best head coach of anyone hired in that round. So, you know, I'm not feeling that much uh, sympathy for you, Josh McDaniels, to be quite honest. Right, what we'll do, let's hear from Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick on all of these very thoughts. Uh, he's going to tell us about Derek Henry's 2,000-yard season. We will get into some of the head coaching hires as well, and we'll start to look forward to playoff football, and then we'll pick our games of Super Wildcard Weekend. Coach Billick, how are you? Are you feeling positive going into 2021 and some January football? Uh, well, I hope so. It's got to be better than 2020. And uh, yeah, I think we got some great matchups. Uh, the expanded field actually ended up being some good matchups. So I think we're going to have a great six games uh, over the weekend. Do your preparations in any way differ for this week? And I'm sure that head coaches will tell you and that everyone will tell you, no, we have to approach it like another game. But it's not another game at this point, surely. It's not. And, and the temperament, you actually have to be more careful about your players not leaving their best game on the practice field. Them getting so amped up that it's the playoffs that they emotionally, and everywhere they go, they go to the grocery store and they go to the cleaners and they, whatever, and, and everybody's cranked up and all the city, in the, the lights in the city are in Baltimore, it'll be purple. And, and, you know, everybody does everything. And, and so it feels different, everything about it. And it's very easy for the players to get too amped up, too worked up during the course of the week, and they wear themselves out come game time. With that in mind, how do you think – John Harbaugh will be approaching the Ravens this weekend, considering this is their third time meeting Tennessee in the last 12 months. The team that not only knocked them out of the playoffs in a shock uh, last year, but also had the big comeback against them this year. Do you use those games as motivation, do you think, or do you have to actually downplay it almost? No, I, no, I think they do. This is a different Raven team. This is going to sound funny because you're talking about a 14-1 and team last year and, and everything that Lamar Jackson did. I think this is a better, more complete Raven team for the fact that they just had more to go through. And John has talked about that. They're more battle-tested. They had more adversity. They had to overcome more things. Uh, some of the doubters about Lamar. So they're, they're a wiser, a smarter, a tougher team. And last year, 14-1, they sailed in the playoffs. We're heading right to the Super Bowl. Uh, and that is a dangerous mentality. So I think this is a mentally tougher team. But I do think Tennessee, because of Derrick Henry, is uniquely qualified. I think Baltimore's the best team in the NFL, top to bottom. And not the least of which is because the third element, special teams with uh, Sam Cook and Justin Tucker, uh, it really an advantage. And that's with no, due, uh, no res- disrespect to Kansas City uh, or to even Green Bay. Or, but I think top to bottom, they're the best team. Now, can they go into Kansas City and beat Kansas City? You know, that, that's, that remains to be seen. But I think they are the best team. But Tennessee with Derrick Henry, as they've proven twice before, are the one team that might be that kryptonite because they don't give up the time of possession because they can dominate in the running game like no one else can. So, yeah, this is going to be a heck of a matchup. It's only happened eight times in the NFL, and you were on the sidelines for one of those seasons, Jamal Lewis's 2,000-yard season. 
what goes into a year like that for someone like Derek Henry? How much, you know, will he be giving the love to the line and everyone else involved in, in getting that season together? And, and do you know what? How much even towards those last few games, he needed, what, 230-odd yards this weekend? Right. And you could have argued they could have taken him out of the game halfway through because they were in the playoffs, but they kept giving him the ball. It is important because it's important to the player. It's important to the team. It's important to your offensive line. Uh, Everybody wants him to have that record. It was the same with Jamal. But as you're alluding to, you've got bigger goals now. It's okay. You're going into the playoffs and and you don't want fatigue your players. You want to rest your players as best you can uh, and save them for the big dance. I sat down with Jamal and, and recognizing that this was important and wanted to embrace it. But I said, so we're, we're going to go after this, okay? But we got to agree right now. When I say we're done, we're done, okay? I don't want any arguing on, the, and, and well, no, I need to go a little bit more or whatever. I mean, I'm aware of it. I know what we need to do. I'll orchestrate it as best I can. Uh, but we also need to save you for the playoffs, for the bigger task. And he was fine with it. He got it. He, he wanted it, but he didn't want to put himself or the team in jeopardy, and it worked out well ridiculously frustrating if you get close and not quite there so delighted for him and for the team obviously from a Ravens perspective uh, I'm sure you hope that that's the end of it now for them but um, the other bit obviously there's lots of head coaching speak this week with the firings and hirings and everything going on but the kind of one head coaching story that's come out of the weekend which has divided a lot of people was what happened in Sunday night football yeah. where Tug Peterson made the decision to bring Nate Sudfeld in the arguments are that you know, by losing that game, they moved from the ninth pick to the sixth pick. And he claimed it was because they wanted to see more of this guy to see if they wanted to sign him as their backup. What did you make of it? What did you make of the discussion afterwards? And the fact that a lot of the veterans didn't seem happy with the decision. This was a tough one. It was unique. I think you have to take Coach Peterson at his, at his word. Uh, and let's also remember that, that... And it's not like, okay, well, what was the purpose? It's not like they they wanted... Washington to go to the playoffs and not New York. Philadelphia doesn't care. Even though there's a rival with New York, there is with Washington as well. So it's not like they were motivated in trying to change the, the, the complexion of it. Going from the ninth to the sixth, I don't know that during the course of the game that, that that's a thing you're very conscious of. Now, whether they talked about it during the week and the general manager and the owner. So it, it comes back to, and let's remember now, Jalen Hurst, he was seven of 20 throwing the ball. Now, I know he ran around and made some plays, but he wasn't doing very well in terms of throwing the ball. So you could make a case that even from a competitive standpoint, even though this guy had never played before, you know, it's a stretch to say, well, we just needed to try something different because, and Washington did a nice job of containing Jalen Hurst for the most part. So, and they're capable of doing that. So uh, to me, this is much ado about nothing, but having said that, they're going to have to deal with this all off season the Carson Wentz and this guy and why'd you pull Hurst and are you favoring the other and the cap uh, hit that you're going to take with one for Philadelphia. This is going to be a long, long off season. Is his biggest thing that he needs to make sure. Cause like I say, they, they kept a lot of the veterans from talking after the game. Uh, we've heard from sources, etc. that there were a lot of people who weren't happy with it. I, mean, I think we saw it on the sideline. There were players who seemed genuinely baffled and confused by what was happening is yeah, it's his- a problem. He could lose his team, uh, and and there's going to that there's going to be a natural division of, with those that think Carson's the guy and those that think Jalen Hurts is the guy, and and this is going to be a tough one because I'm still one that believes I I don't know how you judge Carson Wentz this last year given what was going on around him with the offensive line, the receivers. I mean, it was a cluster. 
Now, Jalen Hurst came in and made some things happen because he's ability to run the ball. And you could say, well, that's what we need going forward. No, how about you put a better team around Carson Wentz, who we know can play, we've seen play, unless you're saying, no, he can't play anymore. That This is going to be a tough one. And, and the team may be divided on it. Um, I, Jalen Hurst, I think, is intriguing. But we're, I'm a long way from saying – you know, if they think, oh, no, we've got our, we've got the next uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, let's slow our roll on that one a little bit. Uh, and that would be quite a leap of faith for Philadelphia. And if you do believe that, you can't have Carson Wentz there. And you're just going to have to take the cap hit, which is going to cripple you from putting that team together, uh, even around Jalen Hurst. So this is, this is not a good situation. And then I do want to turn our attention briefly to, to the – the hirings and firings that are going on at the moment, particularly the process, I guess, because we, you know, we hear the ins and the outs, but I am always astounded when you hear about these interviews going on for like six or seven hours and the level of prep that goes into them and how they have to put together, you know, playbooks and plans for each team they interview with. Like you imagine this process has been going on for a few weeks already, surely. So when you're going in for these interviews, just how in-depth are they? How challenging are they to go and prove that you are the guy who should be taking over? Well, it's gotten to the point, and, and, and it's like anything. Uh, coaches have become very um, skilled and adroit at the interview process and how they have to present themselves. And, yes, they all you know, go back to the Belichickian uh, binder and, and to show, because particularly when you've never been a head coach, you have to exhibit and show management that you understand the elements of what it is to be a head coach. You really don't talk a lot of football because, quite frankly, the people you're talking to don't have the capacity to really understand and discern the difference. Okay, yes, this is a good coach and this isn't. Even the general managers, it's it's more about, okay, first, obviously, the fit, the personality. Uh, can you lead? But it also, do you understand? Show us that you understand all the nuances of the multiple things you're going to have to do as a head coach. And these coaches have prepared for it. They, you know, whether, whether it be mentoring from their current head coaches, they've spent an entire career putting these portfolios together to show this is how I'd structure practice. This is how I deal with the media. This is how we deal with the pro personnel. This is how I'd structure the day and to show that, yes, I do understand the job. And, um, and it's interesting right now, when you hear all the different people interviewing, Right now, it's being driven more by the agents. You, you hear all the, well, this, they're thinking about this and that. And, and uh, I, you know, even, even our people at the NFL Network, God love them, they do a good job. But their connection is with the agents. And the agents are pushing their guys. So, oh, this, this, this so-and-so is just at the top of the list for Detroit. Well, maybe, maybe not. Right now, it's kind of bringing the usual suspects. The field has expanded because of the interest in some of the college coaches because of what's going on in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury and, and Kyler Murray, which is kind of interesting because it's still a team that hasn't been to the playoffs yet. But still just the idea of, okay, well, if we're going to bring some of these college guys up, the three quarterbacks that, that are most talked about, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson, are kind of interesting, the, the diversity. So you know, are you going to bring in someone to match with those guys? Trevor Lawrence is a little bit more like Joe Burrow, good athlete, but can operate from the pocket. Uh, Justin Fields certainly is more the long of Lamar Jackson, although not. He's more like Jalen Hurst for my money. And then uh, Zach Wilson, most like uh, uh, Justin Herbert, who was very good for, for the Los Angeles Chargers. So you can kind of pick your poison. Of the six jobs available, typically it's, it's all about the quarterback. People always say, okay, what is the best job? Well, t- who has the best quarterback? 
That's the best job. Or do you have to go find one? Well, half, you know, four of them, you got Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, and Deshaun Watson. That's pretty good. And the other two that don't have one, Jacksonville and the Jets. Oh, by the way, they have the number one and two pick. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to make which of these jobs is the most attractive, you know, very subjective. Finally, then tying together two of those threads, the heavy links of Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars as a big college guy. It feels like the splashy hire for Jacksonville. I think there is a, a wrinkle to it in the fact that they're looking for a GM and a head coach, which some of the other positions aren't. But what do you make of them going out and trying to make the splashy hire and, and whether you think that that's the kind of thing that is the right approach for a team that are clearly on the big rebuild. It makes sense. And beyond the splashy hire belies the fact that he's certainly competent and a good coach. My experience is guys like Urban, their big question is, well, does my stuff work in the NFL? Well, I enjoy working with the NFL. And my guess is it is about pairing with the proper general manager. And I imagine Urban's going to have some input on that. So if indeed that is where they're headed, okay. And then, then becomes, okay, well, does he take Trevor Lawrence or does he go with Justin Fields? someone he's very familiar with, uh, more along the line of what he has dealt with. Uh, and maybe, you know, again, the, and Justin Fields was brilliant the other night versus Clemson. We'll see how he does against uh, uh, Alabama. If he comes out and has an equal type performance, there's going to be some legitimate debate about, well, is Trevor Lawrence the number one overall pick? Or maybe it is Justin Fields. So uh, there's a lot, you're right, there's a lot of interconnecting feds, threads here that Jacksonville and Urban Meyer, if indeed he wants to come back, would make a lot of sense. I think that Joe Douglas, if he found out that Trevor Lawrence was going to be available at two, would be doing cartwheels down Broadway. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, always a pleasure, Coach Billick. Uh, again, a happy new year to you. Enjoy Super Wildcard Weekend, and we'll speak That'll again. It'll be super. Week. Thank you. Super winning head coach Brian Billick joining us with our friends at X Tech Pads. I know we're in lockdown right now, but when you are able to get back out and do some physical activity if you're thinking that maybe a bit of gridiron would be the way for you to go then you should definitely check out their products they are as safe and as protective and for people oh, i don't think anyone here was at uh we were at radio row one year when they brought round a set of the pads and i put my hand in between two of them with the foam and everything and then they absolutely smashed down on it with <laughs> i can't even remember what it was but you I honestly didn't even feel it it was ridiculous how how powerful they were so uh yeah Quality stuff from Billick, as always. It was great to hear the coach talking about Derek Henry there because uh, my favourite stat maybe in the history of the NFL is that Derek Henry would be the fourth leading rusher in the NFL this season if you only counted yards gained after the second half. I mean, truly yeah. astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a few of those around. I think if you take just his yards after contact, he's fourth or fifth on the list as yeah. well. Like, I mean, in all seriousness, he is, this is a, a Hall of Fame spurt that he's he's under now, you know, he's still only what, 26, 27. Um, he's obviously in the flush of his career and you're not expecting him necessarily to get to, to 2000 yards again, but who would rule that? You know, you wouldn't rule it out. We are very close to a Canton run for Derek Henry. I think uh, a, there was a stat that he's obviously led the league in, in back to back years now. And every running back that's led the league in rushing yards in back to back years since world war two's in, in the hall of fame. So, what I love about that, Liam, is that Liam just butted in to give the stat that I was literally about to give. <laughs> uh, as I was just looking through the list, OJ Simpson, Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, Edrin James might have done it. That's Ladanian Tomlinson. Like, it's a ridiculous list of people. And Derek Henry I mean, now joins his it. His career average in the NFL is five yards a carry. I mean, that is in itself 
is astonishing. And uh, I, Frank I think, Gore could only dream of it. I know. But I think probably the Not most done. astonishing thing is that you look at the yards and the miles on the clock that he's already, you know, in 2009, as a, as a freshman in high school, he ran for 2,465 yards. Second year, he ran for 2,788. The third year, he ran for 3,165 yards. And the fourth year, he ran for 4,261 yards in high school on 462 carries. So in high school alone, he had 12,124 yards rushing. I mean, that's astonishing. Then he had three seasons where he ran in Alabama where he had 382, 990 yards, and then 2,219 yards in 2015. And then he's banged out what he's banged out in the NFL, what, 490, 744, and then 1,059, 1,540, and 2,027. I mean, does he show any signs of slowing down? Nope. In fact, he just shows that he's just getting better and better and better. It's an astonishing run. The big thing as well is obviously he got the big payday at the start of the season. And there's, you know, the notion, which is correct in many cases, that you shouldn't be paying running backs big contracts after such heavy workloads. And yet he's got his big contract and has stepped it up again. Yeah, and there was uh, as we put it out in a tweet earlier this week, but the 2013 Alabama running back corp. If you ever feel like uh, you know college football can be a little bit weighted towards the power teams in the power conferences, Alabama at one point had Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara, T.J. Eldon, and Kenyon Drake all on the same team at the same position. Look at that wide receiver core last year. You had Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, who just won the Heisman. (laughs) And he's throwing John Mechie as well, who's going to be a, a future first-round pick. And you just say, yeah, yeah. You wonder why Alabama are in the national championship game pretty much every year. Well, there's your answer. There'll be other people who break down this weekend's games, literally game by game, and go deep dive into it. So uh, we will allow those people to do it, and we will just pick our games of the weekend. NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. I'll come to you first, Liam. When you look at the six games, what What's the mouth-watering tie for you? I'm glad I've got the first pick because I imagine you two might have gone for the same. And uh, I'm going to select Titans-Ravens. And this is a really interesting game. Obviously, a repeat of the game uh, was in the divisional round last year when Lamar Jackson and the Ravens got stunned. And, you know, this is a big revenge game after that game, after the game in the regular season early in the year when Mike Rabel and the Titans players were dancing on the Ravens logos. Obviously, John Harbour didn't shake hands with them after the game. There's a, a lot of bad blood there and... It's a really interesting one because, you know, the Ravens come into this absolutely in form. They finished the year with five straight wins, averaging 430 yards on offense. I mean, they, they had over 400 yards on the ground against the Bengals last week. It's just astonishing. We talk about how good the Titans are in the run, and actually the Ravens are the, are the best rushing attack in the league. Lamar looks revitalized since he's come back from COVID, but he still doesn't have that playoff win. They're 0-2. I do think this is a, this is the time where he gets that win. I, I just don't think the Titans' defense is good enough. It's not the same defense that the Ravens played against last year, but that's a really interesting game, especially in Tennessee. I think I think that's the pick of the the six games this week. I think you're not wrong. That's probably the game we all would have gone for, but I think it's a, a good slate all round. Simon Clancy, uh, maybe not all round. Yeah, uh, honorary mentions maybe to a couple of games in the NFC. I'm thinking Bucks. At Washington. I'm going to jump in next and I'm going to pick one of the divisional clashes we've got this weekend because it is an NFC West clash. And I genuinely think Rams, Seahawks, even though the games can be low scoring and attritional, sometimes attritional football is great fun. And they are just teams that constantly play each other hard, constantly surprise each other. 
intrigued to see what the Seahawks offense can try and pull off against that Rams defense, particularly after Jalen Ramsey has shut down DK Metcalf so emphatically as of late. But equally, are we getting John Wolford versus Jared Goff? It's not necessarily the highest quality game. It's not the best these two teams have been over the past three to five years, but I just think it always ends up throwing up a good game of football. And it's ridiculous that we're picking those early slate games, but Saturday evening, just after I've got into the uh, the second bottle of wine, cracking on with Seahawks Rams feels perfect. You might need it if Jared Goss playing, mate. Maybe another <laughs> a third bottle. <laughs> uh, what do you like, Simon? Uh, I think it's interesting actually because I'm not sold that this is an amazing slate of games. I think um, you know I think the Bills Colts is interesting, but actually I think the Bills will will win. As I said on the show last week, I think they'll go to the Super Bowl. And I actually think in the cold, Philip Rivers is going to really struggle to throw the ball. They're going to have to rely heavily on Jonathan Taylor. I think the Bills are just the hottest team in the NFL at the moment. I think Seahawks-Rams will be a close game, actually. And the Rams, for for many years, have been the Seahawks kind of bogey team, whether or not, you know, it'll be interesting to see who starts a quarterback for the Rams. Uh, I think Washington-Tampa Bay will be an absolute blowout. Um, I don't see Washington getting within probably 20 points, 25 points. I think Tampa are just too strong. And again, I think they'll probably end up close to the Super Bowl. I really want the Titans to win. I think if they get up early, then they might do. But that run game, 192 yards a game that the Ravens are averaging, I think is a real danger for a Tennessee defense that just can't stop the run and can't get any pressure on on the quarterback. It's a huge ask for for the linebacking core and Kevin Byer to try and shut down um, Lamar Jackson. I think Saints-Bears will be a blowout. I think just Saints are just way too good. Steelers-Browns is interesting. It was a close game last weekend. The Browns have got a lot of moxie. I think the Browns will be desperate to, to, try and, uh, to try and stay in the playoffs, given it's been so long since they've been in it. Baker's played pretty well. But I think the loss of Kevin Stefanski, I think being on the road, and I think uh, you know, the fact it's a divisional game, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers will come in, despite the fact they've looked pretty old down the stretch. I think they'll come in and probably spank their, um, their neighbours, as it were, um, and advance to the divisional round. Uh, gents, lovely stuff. I look forward to watching the divisional round along with you boys on WhatsApp. We can't be in person to watch these games together. Unfortunately, Lord knows what we're going to do for the Super Bowl uh, if it seems like uh, national lockdown will still be in place at that point. But uh, yeah, uh, what we do get is six entertaining looking NFL games to keep us going through the weekend. So keep an eye on the Gridiron social media accounts at Gridiron on Twitter at UK Gridiron on Instagram. Thank you for listening and watching to the show. This has been the Gridiron Show. Thank you.